On July 25th, 1841, Mary Cecilia Rogers told her fiancé she was leaving to visit family. Her body was found floating in the Hudson River three days later. Edgar Allan Poe heard of her mysterious demise and sought to solve her murder through his writing. In 1842, he published the first detective story inspired by a true crime, The Mystery of Marie Roget. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. Welcome to this week's episode of Based on a True Crime. I feel like it's been a while since we recorded, right? Our last episode we released was an interview. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> We're back. Maybe a little rusty, but... Yeah. Hopefully... Oil can. <laughs> oh. uh, well, I did want to start by thanking our new reviews. We had a review from uh, Cindy on Facebook. She also has been uh, talking a lot with us and joined the cult and everything, so thank you. Cindy, welcome to the cult. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, and also thanks to Indigo Wolf. We also have some correct guesses for this week. I posted a that famous portrait of Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, some people just guessed Edgar Allan Poe, but you got to be more specific than that. <laughs> Who's our most recent actor that played Edgar Allan Poe? Oh, what's his name from The Sure Thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think actually someone guessed The Raven, which I have not seen that movie yet, so. Yeah, but yeah, uh, good job, Thomas, for guessing. Also, Taylor on Twitter. Of course, always. Yes, yes. good job. Uh, and on Instagram, we have Library of the Dreaming, who also got the correct answer. Yes, we also got some guesses of murders in the Rue Morgue, but that is not based on a, a real killer orangutan as far as I know. Oh, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> so this is actually the, the sequel to that story, and it's starring the, the same detective, Dupont. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it, uh, but be sure to stay tuned also after the episode to listen to promos from our pod friends. We'll have a promo for Status Pending, which is Heather's new podcast, Heather from Nature versus Narcissism, which I know we've talked about a lot on the yeah. podcast. Yes. Yeah, congrats on that launch. Yes. Um, also, Crazy Clinic, which is Alex and and Megan, Alex has been a member of the cult for a while, and she launched this podcast a couple months back. And so their pod is, is pretty different. It's every episode is discussing an interesting clinical psychology, I guess, diagnosis. Uh, it's it's really cool. So like people who fall in love with objects, like that that sort of thing. Um, and then also we have Talk Spooky to Me, which is an amazing name for a podcast that's uh, bunny and leany, and they talk about all sorts of creepy stuff that'll probably be up the alley of some of our listeners. So you know, not only true crime and horror movies, but you know, weird stories and creepypastas and all that. Yeah, check out all those shows, and we'll have links uh, also to their shows on the notes. Shall we jump into it? Let's do it. Mary Cecilia Rogers was born in Lyme, Connecticut in 1820. Her mother, Phoebe Rogers, was 42 at the time, leading to speculation that Mary may have actually been the illegitimate child of Phoebe's eldest daughter from her first marriage. In any case, her birth records did not survive, and the exact date of her birth is also unknown. She was raised by Phoebe and her second husband, Daniel Rogers, until 1834, when Daniel died in a steamboat explosion. Like, you don't see many deaths from that nowadays, but it happened regularly. There was actually a big steamboat explosion outside of Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's... Uh... 
Uh, So three years later, Phoebe and Mary moved to Manhattan to live with Phoebe's sister. While there, her mother opened a boarding house at 126 Nassau Street. Shortly after moving in 1838, 17-year-old Mary caught the attention of John Anderson, a young entrepreneur who owned a cigar shop called Anderson's Tobacco Emporium. He offered her a job at the cigar counter and a generous wage because he felt that her good looks would allow her to attract more customers. And he was right. Within a year, Mary had become something of a local celebrity and was given the nickname the Beautiful Cigar Girl. There was even a poem published about her in the New York Herald, which read in part, quote, She moved amid the bland perfume that breathes of heaven's balmiest isle. Her eyes had starlight's azure gloom and a glimpse of heaven, her smile. Wow. I know, so romantic. Why don't you write poems like that about me, David? Oh, I know. It's too bad I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, in October of 1838, Mary disappeared from home. On October 5th, the New York Sun reported that her mother, Phoebe, had found a suicide note, which showed that Mary had a, quote, fixed and unalterable determination to destroy herself. However, the following day, Mary reappeared at home, saying she had only been to Brooklyn to visit a friend. The papers reported that her disappearance parents was most likely a hoax thought up by John Anderson to draw more attention to his shop and his beautiful cigar girl which I feel like if there was actually a a suicide note it's not I feel like a a hoax to raise awareness of the shop would maybe be a little bit more lighthearted than that it's kind of weird yeah that's pretty dark yeah well shortly after the stunt Mary left her position at Anderson's Tobacco Emporium and began working full-time at her mother's boarding house A young lawyer named Alfred Cromlin was staying at the house, and he immediately fell in love with Mary. Her mother approved of the match, as she thought it would bring them some upward social mobility. Mary did not feel the same way, however, and although she rejected his advances, he remained a close friend to her and her mother. Mary instead found romance with Daniel Payne, a cork cutter and heavy drinker who was also staying in her mother's boarding house. They became engaged in June of 1841 over the objections of both her mother and Alfred Cromlin. Mary and her mother fought constantly about her engagement until finally, in mid-July, she promised her mother that she would break things off with Daniel. Shortly after this, she contacted Alfred to try to reconcile. She showed up at his new lodgings and wrote several letters, pleading for a loan, but was unable to get in touch with him. Finally, she contacted her old boss, Anderson, and he loaned her some money. Soon after, on July the 25th, Mary disappeared again. That morning, she visited Daniel briefly and told him that she was leaving to visit her aunt, Mrs. Downing, uptown on Jane Street. They made arrangements for Daniel to meet her afterwards, but after heavy thunderstorms hit the city, he assumed that she would be spending the night with her aunt. It wasn't until she didn't show up for work the next day that her mother and Daniel realized something was wrong. Daniel spoke with Mrs. Downing, who said that Mary had never arrived at her house. The search for Mary began. Phoebe and Daniel placed an ad in the New York Sun asking for any information about her disappearance. They received a few tips. One was that she had been seen on the ferry to Hoboken, New Jersey on July 25th, and another placed her at the farm and tavern belonging to Mrs. Federica Loss. Mrs. Loss was a disciple of Madame Restel, known as Madame Killer. Restel provided abortions in secret to wealthy and influential clientele, while Mrs. Loss provided the same service to those who were less wealthy. That's a really tough name. <laughs> what, Madam Killer? Yeah. Yeah. Something out of a horror movie. Oh, wait, no, that's Dr. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So Mrs. Loss claimed to have no knowledge of Mary Rogers, although she did say that a young woman came to her tavern with a man for dinner. After they left, she said that she heard a scream in the thicket near her farm. And several weeks later, an investigation found women's clothing in the area, which resembled clothing known to belong to Mary Rogers, including a handkerchief with the initials MR embroidered on it. So, Oh, uh, that's suspicious. Definitely a clue. Yeah. So before this discovery, Mary's body was found. On July 28th, two men walking along the New Jersey side of the Hudson River near Sybil's Cave spotted a body floating about 200 yards out from the shore. They quickly got into a rowboat and set out for a closer look. They discovered that it was the body of a woman, and after several failed attempts to lift her body into the boat, they instead towed it to shore before contacting authorities. Alfred Cromlin was the first friend of Mary's to arrive on the scene, and he identified her immediately. The weather conditions that July, along with the fact that she had been dumped in water, had led to her body decaying rather quickly. Still, it was obvious to police that she had been beaten badly before her death. She also had a slip knot tied around her neck, although it was unknown whether she had been strangled with the knot or whether the knot had been used as a means of moving her body. Her body was brought to the Hoboken coroner, Dr. Richard Cook, who wrote in his report that he believed she had been raped and manually strangled. Two days after her body was found, an inquest was held in which the jury found that Mary, quote, came to her death by evident signs of violence on her body committed by some person or persons unknown to the jury sufficient to cause death. Suspicion immediately fell upon her two suitors, Daniel Payne and Alfred Cromlin. Daniel provided signed affidavits from witnesses who he had been with during the time of Mary's disappearance, not only to police, but also to the press, which had been whipped into a frenzy by the murder of the beautiful cigar girl. The tone of the report reached such a fervor and was so rife with mischaracterizations that on August the 2nd, the coroner was compelled to release a statement saying, quote, The character of Mary C. Rogers was proved on the inquest by respectable witnesses to be irreproachable, any published slander to the contrary notwithstanding. One by one, police interviewed and ruled out the men in Mary's life, including Alfred Cromlin and her old boss, Anderson. Although they took several men into custody in the weeks immediately after, they were all discharged. The paper reported that blank warrants had been created for anyone suspected of involvement, saying, quote, blank warrants bearing the signature of Judge Merritt of Hoboken have been forwarded to the acting mayor of the city and by him endorsed in case suspicion should align upon any individual. We know this is a dangerous, if not an illegal responsibility for a magistrate to assume, but the emergency will go far in extenuation at the bar of public opinion. The public was indeed following the case closely, and crowds gathered daily at the spot where Mary's body was taken from the water. On August 9th, so a little more than a week later, the New York Herald published a piece offering a reward for the capture of Mary's killer or killers, particularly in light of a rash of similarly violent attacks on women throughout the city. They wrote, quote, It is in vain to call upon the ministers of justice to step in and stay the plague which is at our doors and the community. At least the virtuous portion must act for themselves. Let a public meeting be set afoot. A subscription raised in order to offer... A reward for the murderers of Mary Rogers. We will give $50. And that's all in cap locks, by the way. Oh, yeah. 50 whole dollars. And we doubt not that in less than 24 hours, $1,000 may be raised to be paid into the hands of the mayor of New York for the purpose of stimulating the energetic and indefatigable police of this, the commercial and intellectual emporium of these United States. If this course is not pursued, no woman will be safe even under the protection of a husband or brother. 
The following day, the New York Tribune published an advertisement for a pamphlet about Mary Rogers. This is one of the most bizarre things. There are a lot of you know, primary sources about this because it was all over the the news in that area. But this reminds me a little bit of the uh, kind of worst bits of true crime fandom where people are just looking for the, the salacious. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, this is, again, just barely more than a week after the death. So the pamphlet read, quote, Life and Murder of Mary C. Rogers, the Beautiful Cigar Girl, in pamphlet form with a splendid portrait declared to be a perfect likeness, will be published at 31 Ann Street this morning at 6 o'clock. With further particulars of the murder, the knowledge of which is confined to the police and the writer of this pamphlet. Nine persons, Broadway gamblers, supposed to be concerned in the murder. State's evidence expected. The life is full of interest. It contains an account of several attempts at courtship and seduction brought about her by manifold charms, as also of the early attachments in which she was known to have been engaged. Price, six cents. So this was like a souvenir booklet. Essentially, wow. with just gossip about her life in it. Pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. And only six cents. Only six cents, wow. yeah. Well, the nine men mentioned in the pamphlet description may have been those witnessed by two men, Fanshawe and Thomas, who claimed that on the 25th of July, they saw a boat containing six men and one woman land in Hoboken. So after they landed, all seven of these people left the boat and they headed into the woods. Soon after... Three more men arrived by boat, and they asked the witnesses, Fanchon and Thomas, whether they had seen a boat with six men and one woman in it. After telling the men that the group had gone into the woods, they asked whether they had seen any violence. When the men replied that they had not, the group of three hurried into the woods as well. And these witnesses believed that the woman may have been Mary Rogers. Contemporary papers continued to report on the investigation into Mary's death almost daily, including publishing multiple stories of witness accounts who later turned out to have not seen Mary at all. There was a lot of outrage of the perceived inability of the police to catch the killer, although they did make several arrests that did not stick, including arresting a sailor, William H. Kukuk, who had once boarded with Mary and her mother. Although the sailor was quickly cleared, he chose to remain in custody for a time to avoid the public fervor over the case. That's pretty bad. <laughs> it's like, yep. lock me up. I, I, I don't want to get torn to pieces by a mob. I feel like I would do the same thing, though. Oh, I think it's a good strategy. So although Daniel Payne had also been cleared of suspicion, he fell into a deep depression after Mary's murder. On October the 6th, Daniel traveled to Hoboken, where he was spotted around town in a drunken stupor. While there, he stopped by the Phoenix Hotel. He wasn't wearing a hat and asked a man if he could borrow one. When the man obliged, he said to him, quote, Perhaps you don't know who I am. I am Payne, the lover of Mary Rogers. No one knows my troubles. He was spotted a few times the following day, and for the last time alive, sitting on a bench near the spot where Mary's body was found, writing something. Daniel committed suicide on that very bench by drinking a vial of laudanum. In his pocket was a note which read, quote, To the world, here I am on the spot. God forgive me for my misfortune or my misspent time. Eventually, the tragic stories of Mary Rogers and Daniel Payne fell out of the news, making way for new salacious crimes. But for Edgar Allan Poe, the story was just beginning. Although living in Philadelphia at the time, Edgar Allan Poe had once been a New Yorker and actually remembered Mary from her first brief disappearance in 1838. He followed the stories of her murder religiously in the press, and under the guise of working to solve the murder mystery, he began to write about it. In November of 1842... 
Poe published the first part of his story, The Mystery of Marie Roget. Although hitting upon many of the facts of the case, his story was set in Paris and featured his famous detective, C. Auguste Dupin, in what was essentially a sequel to The Murders in the Rue Morgue. In his letter to the editors while shopping out the story, Poe wrote, quote, under the pretense of showing how Dupin unraveled the mystery of Marie's assassination, I, in fact, entered into a very rigorous analysis of the real tragedy in New York. He even at times claimed to have known who the real killer was, although neither he nor Dupin named names. In the meantime, on October 26 of 1842, Frederica Loss was accidentally shot by one of her sons. While on her deathbed, she confessed that Mary had come to her tavern with a young doctor who agreed to give her an abortion. The procedure was botched and Mary bled to death. Her body was then tossed into the river by one of her sons. Although this version of events was never substantiated and did not explain the extensive injuries to her body, it became widely accepted as the truth at the time, even to the point where Poe himself rewrote the remaining parts of his story to work in this confession. Shortly after Mary's death, John Anderson, the owner of the cigar shop, moved to Paris, where he died in 1881. In the years leading up to his death, he became increasingly agitated over Mary, and he said that he was seeing her ghost. He also said that he felt responsible for her death, although it wasn't known whether this was because he lent her money before she disappeared or whether there was uh, maybe some more nefarious reasons. His last words were supposedly asking Mary for forgiveness. Six years later, while the fate of Anderson's fortune was being debated in court, one lawyer was quoted as saying, John Anderson gave Poe $5,000 to write the story of Marie Roget in order to draw people's attention from himself, who many believed was the murderer. The plot thickens, yeah. but also that's all we have. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get into the discussion. What do you think? Who did it? Who done it, David? Um, Edgar Allan Poe. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's okay. That's a real theory. That was actually how I was going to end it, though. Uh, Spoiler sorry. alert. Uh, oh, I guess what I yeah. Oh, okay, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I guess what I want to know is what you think of the abortion theory, the botched abortion theory. I mean, it it seems like it could be a a possibility. It's not very satisfying. For so, I mean, so unusual. Although I guess it could explain her initial disappearance. I was thinking the same thing, and I I don't think it was unusual at at the time. People died from that a lot, you know, and people will die from that if abortion never becomes illegal. It's it's really, really sad. It's tragic. And I think the fact that the timing of it coincided with her being forced to end this relationship and her borrowing a sum of money, you know, does kind of make me think that it may have been that she was pregnant with the ex-fiance's child and couldn't couldn't have the baby do you think the public would have had a completely different reaction had that fact been public like at the time or do you think the murder people were so wrapped up in the idea of this being a murder that i think definitely it being you know a, a murder and thinking of her as being a victim of some stranger definitely added to the the press and all the stories surrounding it but also you know after it came out that it at least may have been a botched abortion a couple years later new york city voted to make abortion like totally illegal which is not going to help with botched abortions so yeah it was like maybe four years after and they said that this was definitely on voters minds along with the the trial of what's her name madam killer uh, because that was all over the news too 
So yeah, I, I do think it could be an abortion gone wrong. And I think that in terms of the, the injuries to her body, I'm not really sure how much people knew about the natural decaying process, particularly how it can be affected by, you know, body being submerged in water and, you know, the very high temperatures that you would get in July in New York. And not only that, but maybe, you know, her body was intentionally mutilated to try to hide who she was. Yeah. Well, yeah. definitely the movie would not have tackled probably the abortion part of it uh, in the early 40s. Yeah. Yeah, that was absent. They they took a lot of, of liberties with the movie. But before we get to the movie discussion, I did want to mention actually exactly what you said. There's a theory out there that it was Poe himself who, who committed the murder and then wrote about it, which as far as I know, there's absolutely no evidence to support that. But wouldn't that make a good movie? It, yeah, it could make an interesting movie and Poe having to, um, he would need to kind of exonerate himself uh, as the spooky dude that... <laughs> is uh, under suspicion of murder. Poor Poe. I feel like everyone thought he committed like all the crimes. They're probably checking his walls and his floorboards for hearts and bodies. It's because he's a creepy dude. He's an awesome dude. Creepy in an awesome way. Yeah. So we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with um, a discussion of the 1942 film, The Mystery of Marie Roget. Sit tight. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The mystery of Marie Roger. A mystery that once had all of Paris in a turmoil. For Marie Roger, darling of the city, beautiful but cruel, had as many enemies as she had lovers. May I ask why you use this curious way of having Mademoiselle Camille escorted to a party? I happen to know that she's going to be murdered tonight. <laughs> From the murk and mist of the river, through the horror of the morn, goes the trail of Marie Roger. But neither threats nor attempted murder can stop the one man determined to solve this grim mystery. Looks as if the face had been torn to a pulp by the claws of an animal. You knew I was justified and that I'd be cleared, but for some reason you've got it in for me. <laughs> My seconds will call on you, monsieur. If it's the last thing I do, I'll kill you. <laughs> And death, did you see? It's 1889, and musical comedy star Marie Roget is missing. After a disfigured body is discovered in the river, her family fears the worst. 
when Dr. Paul Dupont, who solved the famous murders in the room org, is brought in to investigate, Marie mysteriously reappears unharmed but unwilling to talk about where she's been. Meanwhile, Marcel proposes to Camille, Marie's young sister, but Marcel and Marie are secretly plotting to murder Camille. Something goes wrong with Marie and Marcel's plans, and Marie is murdered instead. Dr. Paul Dupont is called in again to investigate such an unusual murder case to find the killer. And uh, this is 1942's The Mystery of Marie Roget. It's an older film. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this one. I did too, yeah. Man, these these uh, old true crime movies, they do a really good job. Yeah, and they zip by really fast. This one is just over 60 minutes. So if you have an hour, look up this movie and check it out, especially if you buy what we're selling here after talking about the making of the film and, and the inspiration and stuff. So the story is by Edgar Allan Poe, based on the true events, which we just detailed. And it's... It's based on his story, The Mystery of Marie Roget, and it's sort of a sequel to The Murders in the Room Morgue, as we mentioned, and it first appeared in the Snowden's Ladies' Companion as three parts, November and December of 1842 and February of 1843. So it took a little while to kind of develop the story he was working on, researching the case at the time, so that's why it was split up into multiple parts. Uh, just kind of an overview of the murders in the Room Morgue. It's a short story by Poe, and it was originally published in Graham's Magazine in 1841. And as Chelsea mentioned, it's been recognized as the first modern detective story. It falls into this category of ratiocination. Which... It's like a, a method of thinking about the crimes. This is the first detective story, so it, it came before Sherlock Holmes, but I feel like that way of thinking and making those connections is was kind of my understanding of what ratiocination is or whatever. As we mentioned about Dupin's character, um, it's about him solving this brutal murder of two women and no one can really figure out what happened and it turns out that he finds a hair on the crime scene that appears not to be human and as we kind of spoiled earlier, it, it turns out it's a, well... It's an orangutan. It's an orangutan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, it's Ooh, it's really different. good. That's kind yeah. of a big plot twist but the story's been out there for quite a while. So Yeah, I don't think we could spoil something that's like 150 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but very gory for its time. Um, I remember reading it as a kid and it really freaked me out. Yeah. We read it in English class. I think I've already told my Edgar Allan Poe story on the podcast about... How oh, I, the tall tale heart? Yeah, the tall tale heart. I'll tell it again anyway. Yeah, refresh <laughs> For, for our new listeners. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I got really into these picture books for kids, but they were adaptations of... Edgar Allan Poe. So, you know, it was, they made it child-friendly and it was, you know, Fall of the House of Usher and The Pit and the Pendulum, but they didn't have the telltale heart. And it was like, you know, you see it listed in the front that it exists, but they didn't have it in my elementary school library. So I went home to uh, my parents' book of the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe and I looked up the, the telltale heart and I read it. And I don't think my parents actually believed me when I said I read it Oh, until that night when I was lying in bed and I couldn't sleep. And I went to my parents' room and I said, I can't sleep. It's the tall tale heart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, little baby Chelsea. Yeah, little little weird baby Chelsea. <laughs> I remember, I think it was in seventh grade, memorizing The Raven. And I just read it again and again and again. And oh. I still have a little bit of it in my head, but I can't get very far. But, you know, I'll, I'll be like, once upon the midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. 
only this and nothing more. And then like I, I would like keep going but then start repeating myself. So. Yeah. <laughs> the poem would never end that way. Oh, I, I love the Raven Man, the pattern to the verse. It's it's really something special. It is, definitely. Well, the movie itself, the screenplay was by writer Michael Jacoby. And this connects to so some other thing some other episodes that we've worked on and uh, particularly our Patreon exclusive episodes on the Universal Monsters. So Yeah, stay tuned for our episode on the mummy later this month. Yeah. Yeah, so give us money, get the mummy. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So we've covered Universal Studios' Dracula's and the Wolfman, and Michael Jacoby was a writer on. And so we've talked about Boris Karloff and all of these classic actors that played these monsters, and he was a writer on Boris Karloff's Doom to Die, one of his later films, and also a monster movie called The Undying Monster. But uh, he has a really large list of credits, so nothing in particular besides those like monster movies jumped out at me yeah he's he has written a lot and i thought he did a really good job adapting poe's work here and sort of modernizing it a little bit even though it still takes place in the late 1800s the film is directed by phil rosen who directed as all of these old-timey directors did nearly 150 films between 1915 and 1941 49 including spooks run wild which is a horror comedy starring Bella Lugosi and the East Side Kids, which I was like, is that like the Little Rascals and our gang or whatever? And actually, it sort of is. They're just an older group of kids. So there was this genre of tough kid movies where they were just like tough teenagers going on misadventures that were really popular in the 40s. That's neat. So this movie, we've been on Universal Studios Rampage, and this was also produced by Universal Pictures and released on April 23rd of 1942. I really like the cast in this movie yeah and there there are some more connections there to our universal monster movies specifically wolfman which is the one we did last month which is my favorite yeah yeah wolfman is so good and the lead uh patrick knowles who plays dr paul dupin he's the doctor detective in the film and in the wolfman he plays frank andrews so he's the fiance of the the girl right yes yeah yep he's the fiance uh but he's also in frankenstein meets the wolfman where he plays Dr. Frank Mannering, and who is the gamekeeper. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Maria Roger is played by Maria Montez, and she plays kind of the star. She was known as the Queen of Technicolor, and over her film career, she appeared in 26 films, and 21 of them were made in North America. Her final five films were made in Europe. Nell O'Day plays Camille Roger. She is the younger sister, and she was in a number of 40s westerns and was apparently an accomplished equestrian, so she could ride a horse like nobody's business. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. We have another familiar actor, Maria Ospinskaya, as Cecile Roger. She's Maleva in 1941's Wolfman. So she's the the um, older Romani woman who is the the mother of Bela Lugosi's character. She's excellent in this. She's excellent in The Wolfman. She is, yeah. And I've, I really like her in this. As she adds a lot of gravity to this, this movie. The inspector is played by Lloyd Corgan. He's an actor, writer, and director who has too many credits to mention. John Lytell as Henry, the French Minister for Naval Affairs, and Edward Norris as Marcel. And he is engaged to Camille, but is also with uh, Marie. So I was talking about in the introduction to the the movie, he is the one that really sets things in motion. And being an old time me picture, can't have that without some classic taglines. And this one, I was able to find three. All right, Chelsea, you're gonna have to give me your your thoughts on these. Thrill to the mystery master's most amazing story. 
Steel clawed terror ravaging a shuddering city. I mean, it's fine, but I already have my eyes on that next one. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I feel like the first one could be a uh, murder in the room morgue. It could be pretty much anything. Steel clawed terror. Thrilled to the mystery master's most amazing story. I don't think people think of this as Edgar Allan Poe's most amazing story, though. I didn't even Not know even he close. had written a sequel to the murders in the room morgue until we nope. started researching the case. So. I'd never heard of this case until it popped up when I was looking into. Actually, it came up because it it is the the first story that is based on a true crime. So we should have like a little sound effect for saying our podcast name. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so and I thought, of course, it's Edgar Allan Poe, so always fun to talk about. All right, the one you may have been alluding to beautiful beast maddening with her soft caress murdering with steel clawed terror i love that femme fatale-ness of the 1940s when this movie was made and it's like Ooh, yeah you should fear us women <laughs> we are murdering with our steel claws <laughs> all right and the third and final one the mystery master's spine clutching classic of the phantom mangler of paris i like that one fine if the phantom mangler was actually a thing but those words are not spoken in the movie <laughs> No, they talk about the facial disfigurement, but yeah. not about They don't mangling. call him the Phantom Mangler. That's what I'm going to call Gertrude from now on. The Phantom Mangler. The Phantom Menace of Paris for you Star Wars fans. I like the alliteration of most of them, though. Yeah, I do, too. You like Mystery Master? Mystery Master is pretty good. I guess they're talking about Poe, right? Yeah. We've already talked about the inspiration for this story, but the writer of the screenplay pretty much threw everything away except for the Paris setting, then the title and the bit about the disappearance for a little bit and then when she comes back and the at least the last name of the character yes of Dupin. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and then this one has been brought forward in time a bit to 1889 i think that that's that it just feels a little bit uh, closer to our time i think by doing that so we were talking about star maria montez and she obtained stardom after this uh, movie came out so they reissued it and her name was put on the top of the building which i think her name deserves to be on the top of the picture she's really the star of it i feel like she has the most interesting role although i guess you know, she's she's maybe only in half of it since she does get murdered <laughs> obviously she does yes mentioning her murder it's like in the classic 40s fashion you just oh it's so good it is really good it's very dramatic and you can see it coming but like so many of these setups for these these older films they have a, a rhythm to them that i mean i was totally a, a, along for the ride yeah i was too i feel like even though i had done the research beforehand and i knew about in the case of mary rogers her you know disappearing and then coming back before finally disappearing because she's killed they still kind of had me going when they found the the first body in the river because that's that's new so that's kind of adding some drama it feels like a very smart choice so it, it starts with her being missing and then they pull a body from the river and the face of the body is, is disfigured and I was like oh okay so that's Marie Roger and then when the police go to her house to inform her her grandmother and her sister Marie Roger walks in the door I think she was missing with Marcel they were plotting to murder Camille. Yes. So Camille is uh, Marie Roger's sister, but I guess she's like the favored one. So she's set to inherit when she reaches a certain age, the like family's fortune. Marcel is you know, engaged to Camille, but is having an affair with Marie Roger. So they're, they're plotting together to kill her. Well, he's not even long-term engaged. They get back and he proposes to Camille like on the spot. And then they're like... And it's a surprise to Marie Roger. She says, oh, that wasn't part of the plan. What are you doing? Um, and he's saying it's, you know, to, to make him seem more trustworthy, which we know is uh, BS because the husband did it. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, you don't want to get a step closer to being the husband because then you definitely did it. But Camille is, is not the one who's killed. And that sick twist, which I think really kind of makes the movie, is that it ends up being Maria. And it's after this incredibly tense series of scenes where basically the grandmother has overheard the plot. So she like sneakily calls in Dupin and has him escort Camille to her, what's the right word? It's like a, her grand. Yeah, some, some kind of party. Marie Roger sings at it and the, the killer, which you don't know who it is until the end, but uh, tries to poison Dupin and the inspector. So it's, oh, it's so creepy because you see like they're talking and they left their glasses on the edge of the balcony and like hands come up and grab the glasses it's it's a really cool setup i love the that off-camera thing because that's actually how they show marie getting killed also is you know she gets into a fight with marcel in the garden and you know it's like why haven't you killed camille yet you're supposed to do this and then he he goes off and leaves her alone and she's you know standing there in front of this like hedge or something and then two hands just come out on either side of her and drag her back it's neat and I feel like it's it's the kind of shot that you do see a lot in in modern horror films now so seeing it in something from the 1940s is it's pretty cool there was no killer orangutan or anything in this one no no should we should we spoil it should we jump straight to the ending yeah let's do all right. So the, the killer is Marcel and actually yes. how they end up catching him. Well, um, Dupont is able to prove how there's, you know, a secret cellar way, which is how you get to and from the crime scene without being spotted by people at the party. But I think the most important indicator that it's him is that that first body that they drag from the river whose face is mutilated is his ex-wife from England. So she yes. came to, to Paris, I guess, to find him and, and he killed her the, the same way he killed Mary. He tried to get away with it by saying, you know, at first he admitted right off the bat to killing her, but said it was to, to protect Camille. You know, he didn't want to be a part of this this plot. And, you know, Dupont and the inspector are really worried that he's going to get away with it. You know, no jury would convict him based on that, which nowadays that's absolutely not true. But they wanted to prove that I guess there was a little bit more premeditation to it. It, and they're able to do that and they also actually catch him in the act they um, lie in front of Marie Roger's family and Marcel and Henry who actually is secretly working with the police very cool they say that there's that um, Marie kept a diary so they're able to catch him breaking into the house looking for the diary and actually attacking Camille thinking she had the diary and they shoot and kill him it's good it I love those kind of old-timey detective stories. I've always been a fan of all the Sherlock Holmes adaptations and the original stories. I've read a bunch of them, so I liked it. And I think that some of our listeners might like it, too. You're talking about these detective movies. I would have loved to see a series of Dupin movies starring patrick knowles like all through the 40s they could have done a bunch yeah, of them he's great he's great in this it would be fun to see like poe inspired they could have just done some sort of mashup or something kind of like castle rock or i don't know what but it'd be kind of they neat. should do that now yeah i think that would be great well i feel like the the time has passed there's a period of time when like sherlock holmes adaptations were so big right there was the bbc one with benedict cumberbatch and then there was one set in new york with lucy Liu playing watson there was the the movies too starring what's his name iron man robert downey jr playing oh, sherlock yeah. holmes those yeah. were man those are good i've seen them all yeah lots lots of stuff inspired and you know poe was the was the first to create that prototypical detective character i can't wrap up this episode without mentioning the various adaptations of edgar Allan poe's stories and i think the biggest one that jumps out are the ones that vincent price did 
Oh, yeah. Roger Corman was a big supporter, I guess, and lover of Poe, or at least he knew that Poe adaptations would make some money. So he did quite a few. But there are a couple that I just wanted to mention, including Tales of Terror, The Raven, The Pit and the Pendulum, uh, The House of Usher, The Mask of the Red Death, and then he also did Witchfinder General and The Oblong Box. So I think there's even a couple more other than that. All of those were filmed throughout the 60s. Nice. Do you have a favorite Edgar Allan Poe adaptation? I really like the Pit and the Pendulum that they did. It's kind of gross. I mean, that story is just so gnarly. It's pretty entertaining. We have the Vincent Price box set, and a couple of those are on on them. So I wanted to give a shout out for the one that has been on my mind recently that we talked about, uh, Two Evil Eyes. So that's really great. It's Dario Argento and George Romero, each directed. It's like the movie's split in half, so it's two Poe short stories. So one is The Black Cat, and the other is The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. And I, I thought it was great. I know it's been a couple years since we watched it. We might have to break it out this Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, that is so good. I think that one's a lot of fun. This is a really creepy cover, too. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that is The Mystery of Marie Roget. So check it out. It is not streaming anywhere, but it is available on Amazon on DVD for pretty cheap. No, that was good. It was really interesting to see how uh, this movie was influenced by so many sources from Edgar Allan Poe to the actual true case and how it kind of evolved over time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the changes that they made to it cinematically make a lot of sense to make it be an interesting movie because Edgar Allan Poe's story is a lot. Well, it's all about the ratiocination. So it's, it's about the thought process rather than the action. And I think they did a really good job turning it into a tight, exciting movie. Yeah, totally. I actually bought a copy of the book for my Kindle. I think it's like an hour read or so. So it's really short. The three parts are all combined together. So you may want to check that out too and read the original source material for the film. All right. Well, as we wrap up this episode, you know, wanted to see if you had anything for our now playing. Yes. So my now playing is House of a Thousand Corpses. We talked about this on the cult during the week we sat down and David tried to get me to watch the Rob Zombie Halloween remake and I was not buying what he was selling. So we ended up stopping about 10 minutes in and what did we watch instead? Oh, we watched that George Romero, the witch movie, Season of the Witch, which was really great, but it's not my now playing. My now playing is House of a Thousand Corpses because we posted about it on the cult and we got some people who agreed with me you know some people who agreed more with David which I mean you don't you like the original a lot more but you can appreciate the Rob Zombie remake and I feel like part of it was that I've never seen a Rob Zombie movie and I feel like the original Halloween is so perfect that I don't think I would be happy with any changes to it Uh, but I I got some recommendations so I want to shout out uh, Steve Amanda and Rebecca on our cult who all said that the first Rob Zombie movie I should watch my introduction to Rob Zombie should be House of a Thousand Corpses we watched it last night and I really really enjoyed it I thought it was a lot of fun I I love the humor but you know it was it was gross but not too gross (laughs) it's just the right amount of gross yeah yeah I I just, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is my favorite Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. So thank you. Thank you to the cult members. And also David, I yeah, I know that you knew I would like that one more also because you know me. But instead I was like this highly acclaimed original movie that Rob Zombie remake. That's your first Rob Zombie movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, oops. <laughs> it's fine. This this has wiped out that bad taste from my mouth and I'm, I'm excited to watch The Devil's Rejects next because they're actually, they're both free on Shudder. So 
Thank you, Shutter. Sponsor yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> right? No kidding. Yeah. What about you, David? What's your now playing? Oh, well, this is going to be a shocker probably to a lot of people. <laughs> but uh, my now playing is the TV series Meteor Garden. I think I mentioned it as my coming soon. So now they know you're watching it with me. Yes. So Meteor Garden is an adaptation of the manga Boys Over Flowers. And it has been apparently, according to Chelsea, adapted many, many times in live action format. Um, and I've seen every single one. There have been, uh, there is a Japanese adaptation. There is a Korean adaptation. It's a Taiwanese adaptation, which the new Meteor Garden is a remake of the, the Taiwanese adaptation. All right. And this is a Chinese production. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you like it and that you didn't just leave me immediately and wake <laughs> up one morning. Your suitcase is gone. Your big purple suitcase is gone. It, there's no spooky stuff. It's just, a, it's a, it's a romantic drama. <laughs> It's a romantic comedy drama. Yeah, and it's really good. So, yeah. and uh, it's really cute. They release a lot of episodes every Friday because it's it's airing very close to as it airs in China. So every Friday we have like six hours of the show to watch. Yep, and David watches it with me every Friday. What a champ! Our secrets out, David. Yep, that's true. Hey, you gotta balance it all out, you know. Can't all be spooky movies. Yeah. All right, so do you have anything coming soon? Ooh, I hope I don't steal your coming soon, but I'm going to say the summer of 84. Is that yours also? <laughs> it is. I left it blank on my notes, but it just All right. in my well, head. Let's, we'll share it then. Uh, yeah. we, we talked about this before, I think, as as a coming soon when just a trailer was, was released. And you can talk more about it because it's, you know, the filmmakers of one of your favorite movies. But we're seeing it Tuesday at Jean Cocteau Theater in santa fe which is the movie theater that's owned by george r, r. martin it is and we just saw a uh, an anniversary screening of 1998 smoke signals with the director and that was pretty amazing so good i love that movie yeah it's it's really good so summer of 84 it's actually gotten some mixed reviews just because i think um it does take place in 1984 and it has that um 80s vibe spielbergian amblin thing that is so close to stranger things that and people kind of go into it looking for that but it it's rated r so it's a lot i guess darker so like maybe it also overlaps with this movie which i guess is what's making it sort of a a tough sell you know the thing that interests me besides uh the tie into like this 80s kids investigate a serial killer is that it, it, the filmmakers are the ones that created turbo kid which is one of my absolute all-time favorite movies it's in my top five so good yeah it's so good if any of you out there haven't seen it just just watch it we were so lucky we got to see it in theaters it is available on streaming i think it is on netflix if it's not there it's on any of the other ones so but yeah summer of 84 we're gonna check that out awesome yeah. i'm excited yeah actually probably by the time this is released we'll have seen it right but uh it's coming it's all it's a very very small slow rollout so they're doing like 10 cities at a time so it may hit you it may not but it'll eventually be on vod and you know we'll let you guys know when when that happens too all right well uh, that wraps up our episode of course you can find us on social media in the usual places on instagram at based on a true crime on facebook based on a true crime podcast but uh even more fun we have a group the cult of based on true crime there's a button on our facebook page that you can click and request to join and chelsea and i get notified and we will try to approve you as fast as we can on twitter we are at true crime based if you're interested in this content that we've talked about this mysterious patreon patreon is a way for us to offer exclusive perks and content that you can't get anywhere else in trade yes, for a little bit of money and we have not yet dropped the ball on patreon there is 
one bonus episode every month since I think, gosh, I think we started in January. Yes. There's a lot of episodes up there right now. So there are, and you we should do full episodes, consider it. So. Yeah. And if you're curious about what episodes are up, I don't know if you could actually see it without being a supporter, but shoot us an email. I'll send you a list. Um, there's some good ones. Sounds of the Lambs. We did Sounds of the Lambs. Yep. Yeah, yeah totally. It's as low as $1 a month all the way. I think we five or 10 or whatever it is. Also, if you love us so much, uh, if you want to help feed our cats, that would be amazing. But for the low price of as cheap as $12 a year, you get 12 episodes from us that you can't get anywhere else. So. We are proud members of the Murderly Network, which is a great collective of true crime podcasts. So check out the full list of shows on murder.ly. If you would like to see what I'm up to in the art world, please check me out at Lab Creature on Instagram. Our podcast theme and supporting music was composed and performed by Nico Batiste of We Talk of Dreams. And he can be found on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams and also Instagram at the same handle and also, well, wetalkofdreams.com. As we wrap up, just remember, death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. There are many true crime podcasts available, each offering a different perspective to the genre. Each with their own niche that pulls the listener in by tugging at their heartstrings or their funny bone in one way or another. What we aim to do with Status Pending is make you think. We want you to feel as though you're connected to the case. We want you to feel something. The cases we're going to cover have discrepancies of some sort and may or may not be well known. They are either unsolved, prematurely closed, or open without any solid leads. We want to get these stories out to the public, for the family, and for the victims. Join us every month for a different case, which will be a different chapter in our podcast as we take a three-part look into the facts. We'll have interviews, expert opinions, and more. And we'll also be looking for suggestions from you for cases to take on as we move forward. You can email us at statuspendingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Alex. And And we we have have a question for you. Do you think you're crazy? You know, Alex, I don't think they do. I mean, does anyone? You're right, Megan. Well, I'm here to tell you those weird little quirks and tics probably seem normal to you. But you're not normal. You're crazy. The question is, just how crazy are you? And we're here to tell you that. We're We're the the hosts of the Crazy Crazy Clinic Podcast. The podcast where we take your most uncanny habits, bizarre pet peeves, outlandish thoughts, unconventional fears, and dive deep into the background and psychology of chosen topics to inform you just how crazy you really are. Join us Monday on SoundCloud, Apple Products, and pretty much anywhere podcasts can be heard to find out how crazy you and everyone else really are. Hi guys, my name's Leany. And my name's Bunny. You like chatty, occasionally funny British ladies talking about horror, true crime, and all things spooky. Could I suggest our podcast? We round up every episode with a creepy and crappy pasta story, so you shouldn't be too bummed out by the time you finish. You can find us on all the very best podcasting apps, hopefully. (laughs) And you can catch us on Twitter, we're at TalkSpooky. Hope to catch you soon. Love ya! And I think that you're alright.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.